Hi, this is Steve from Retroman Blog, and welcome to this special edition of Retrosonic Podcast. Uh, this is something that I've been meaning to do for quite some time now, um, and I'm pleased to welcome in to our virtual studio my good friend, Mr. Brett Buddy Ascot of the Chords and the Fallen Leaves. And uh, as regular listeners to our podcast will know, uh, many other bands besides. And uh, welcome, Buddy, and uh, happy birthday. Good afternoon, and happy unbirthday to you, Steve. Well, thank you. So this is how dedicated we are to the pod that I've um, forced you to come in on your birthday to stop yep. your um, festivities and put away your jelly and ice cream and pop and um, to curb my to curb my alcoholism. You've uh, made sure I keep away from the grog until seven o'clock. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's not it's not as if you can really go anywhere to celebrate at the moment. So I thought I'd get you in and do some work. And um, welcome, buddy. It won't take too long because I've got ice skating to go to, and then um, I've got a. Uh, I'll go to a fun fair later, and then the pub before the restaurant, and then probably hit a, a nightclub on the way home. That was last year's birthday. No, last year's was even worse. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two years ago. Well, um, I, I thought, what, what can I give the, the man who's got everything for his birthday? So I thought, well, I know he likes to talk about himself, and um, <laughs> I thought, what better than to give him a little dedicated episode on his birthday, a special edition of Retrosonic Podcasts. And actually, this is something that we've been talking about for a while, because um, we've done a, two or three podcasts with you um, before, where we've um, talked about your musical background and your sort of some of your favourite music and your own career. And then one thing that I think you mentioned was, why don't we talk about drummers? And I thought, well, well no. Well, it wasn't just drummers. It was sort of dedicated uh, one-off specials to maestros of their instruments. I thought we'd start with drummers, because we are the most important, but... You, 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 you've come up with a better idea. Yeah, well, I, I, I tend to have these ideas sort of in the middle of the night, you know, if I'm sort of dozing off or waking up or in dreams. And then I remember, and I've got a little notepad by my bed. And I, I mean, one morning I woke up and I looked at my notepad and I had Buddy Ascot, <laughs> the rhythm method written down. And I thought, what? <laughs> <laughs> what a night that was. This way <laughs> and that way. Some of it barely legal. I thought, what have I been dreaming about? And I thought, Jesus Christ. And then I remembered our idea about this... Um, the drums and the, and the different and the drummers and the bass players and, that. and I thought oh, well, that'd be a good title for the for the podcast. Um, mm. So we're going to celebrate the unsung members of um, the rock band, uh, the rhythm section, um, drummers and bass players, obviously. The engine room. And, and this is not don't don't get, take this too seriously, listeners. This is just our favourite. Let me stress that from the beginning. This is our favourite drummers and bass players. It's not the best. It's not the most technical. It's just our favourite. So obviously there's going to be lots of people we're going to miss out that you might not agree with, um, but then... Yeah, yeah but he, he definitely shouldn't be in, should he, that one? He's no. a Robin. <laughs> but you can't quantify best. You can quantify favourite, but you can't technically prove best because there's no such thing. No, exactly. And then I come from... Uh, my opinion is probably similar to yours, that I don't really... Uh, my favourite sort of musicians are not necessarily the most technically proficient you know, I mean, it's all about, for me, passion, innovation, you know, originality, uh, rather than technical ability. So um, I, I agree 100%, Steve. Yeah. And as, as you say, it's not about the um, when you are a uh, musical maestro. Everyone talks about the drummer in Rush, don't they? Especially the other members of Rush. But people do talk about Neil, is it Pert or Piart? I don't know how you say his name. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, I checked him out a little bit to see, well, will I be blown over so much by the drummer that I'm going to start to love the group? Unfortunately, yes, he's a great drummer, technically. He does things I'll never be able to do in my dreams, but I can't stand the music. Mm. Um, so, therefore, I have to dismiss him. Yeah, 
I, I can see that. And it's like for me, if we're choosing guitarists, then um, I'd go over Keith Levine, you know, Wilco Johnson, any day over sort of Eric Clapton or any of these people. So um, just let's get that straight, everybody, before we start. So um, it's good fun. So obviously, if we miss anyone out and you disagree with what we're saying, then um, write in and tell us your favourites. And Anyway, buddy, let's, let's kick off. I mean, we're, we're going to start from the beginning that we, we've agreed that we might as well finish the podcast now. You know, John Entwistle, Keith Moon, the ultimate rhythm section goes without saying that they are head and shoulders over everybody. So let's get that out of the way. For <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, because of uh, Brexit and the current political situation, I've decided to restrict myself purely to English drummers. <laughs> My five are all coming from within the perimeters of this nation. And there's so many people, I just, it sounds like an Oscar speech, doesn't it? People I'd like to thank who can't be here today. Um, so all of these could have made the cut. There's Dave Ruffy of The Ruts, Danny Goffey of Supertramp, Supergrass rather, not Supertramp, um, Martin Chambers of The Pretenders, John Mayer of The Buzzcocks, Kenny Jones, not of The Who, but definitely of The Small Faces, Matthew Priest of Dodgy, um, and the much-missed Martin Gilks of... Wonder stuff, yes. who sadly died on my birthday uh, about 15 years ago, I think it was. Yeah, so we've uh, we obviously had to narrow it down a little bit. I've cheated, which we'll get on to later, as is my podcast, because we were going to pick our best, our, fa- our favourite five drummers and our favourite five bass players, but it's taken me a week and I've been scratching my head, and it's impossible to narrow it down. But So we're going to have a bit of fun along the way. Um, so let's kick off with you, buddy. Let's um, go for your nomination. Well, should we get them out of the way first? Yeah. As you, you've already mentioned him, um, it all begins and ends with me, for me, with Keith Moon. And um, there are so many reasons why. And there's a different Keith Moon for everybody, really. Some people like the bloke who smashed up hotel rooms and drove Rolls Royce into a swimming pool, or whatever that apocryphal story was. And there are other people who like the um, out on the town, getting drunk and falling around with Oliver Reed. Um, and there are those who like the antics on stage the drumstick throwing and the twiddling and the playing up to the crowd I don't know anyone who does things like that but um what I love is as a musician he is one of the very few drummers who does things that not only can I not do them I don't even know how he does them and um if you ever get to see the if you ever get to see who's who the tribute group they had a drummer called um Paul Kemp who could play like Keith and um, even watching him because he's playing Keith's fills and, and paradiddles, I can't understand what he's doing. It, it takes my breath away. And um, the first track I wanted to play to you, um, it's got an opening drum roll that I will probably never master. I don't even know how he does it. It's, um, and on this album, Who's Next, he finally got the sound from the producer, uh, which I think was Glyn Johns, he finally got a drum sound to do his playing justice. So you can actually hear everything he's playing rather than just a, a sheen of cymbals and, and, and rolling snares. You can actually hear everything he's doing and you, everything is revealed and you think, my God, double bass drums. That's what we're going to fade in. We're going to fade out after about two minutes and then we're going to fade back in for the end. And you listen to the, the, the double bass drums and it's just mind-blowing. And the song is called Bargain.
Fantastic. That was Bargain from Who's Next. And you've got another couple of examples of Keith Moon's genius. Well, um, yeah, I'm going to choose three songs where the intros um, alone are worth the price of admission. And um, they all come from the era sort of 1970 to 1973. So you must have been doing something very right at that time. I think that's, that, for me, that's his golden period, really, sort of 69 to 73. After Quadrophenia, everything goes, sorry about that, everything goes downhill a little bit, I think. Uh, his, his health was really starting to suffer. So he is kind of unique for me in that he has a way of bringing a song in that just makes you excited and paying attention to the song immediately. Um, so you, as soon as you hear the role, um, you're just, you're in the song and, and you're there. So we're going to hear three introductions. So one is called Pure and Easy that should have been on Who's Next, but it was left off um, and it ended up on Odds and Sods. Uh, then you're going to hear I've Had Enough from Quadrophenia. Um, and then the first couple of minutes of Young Man Blues from Live at Leeds, still the greatest live album ever made despite the Ford and Leaves one. Um, it just sounds like an orchestra. It's one man on a drum kit, and it sounds like a, a full percussion section. Yeah. So we've got Pure and Easy, I've Had Enough, and Young Man Blues. Take it away, Steve. Old days, 
When a young man was a strong man, all the people, they stepped back when a young man walked by. Well, that's fantastic. No, oh, what great examples there. You know, it's true. I mean, truly mind blowing, really, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, like I said, you just can't get your head around it. Yeah, he's doing things. Uh, he's on lead drums, isn't he? Basically, hmm. he's uh, he's playing along to the vocal, which is something I do uh, not by design, just by accident. And um, we'll come to that when we talk about bass players, because bass players and drummers obviously should work together. Hmm. But um, some of us are less disciplined unfortunately, and tend to follow the lead guitar or the vocals. I don't know why. I've got no um, ambitions to be a singer or a guitarist. It's just that that's what excites me and that's what sort of fires me. That's a good point. I mean, we discussed about this before. I mean, for me personally, if I'm talking about my favourite drummers, I, I, I like drummers like John Densmore or Frederick Sandstein of the soundtrack of our lives. Drummers that probably, I say jazzy in a way, that they follow the vocal, that they follow the mood and they can, they can accentuate what the singer's trying to put across. That to me is a real art, you know, rather than that horrible thump, 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 thump <laughs> rhythm that you get through a whole song sometimes, like in a lot of rock music. So That's, That I, sounds I like my neighbour on the uh, party wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's right. You know, that, there's nothing worse than that sort of... That John sort of... Densmore was a jazz drummer, as I understand it. Yeah. And also, I love the fact that on, on uh, Break On Through, the first track on the first album, he makes a mistake. You can hear, uh, you hear sticks click together or he hits yeah. a rim, but they just left it in. I mean, they wouldn't do that now, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, this is, you go back to the old analogue-digital argument. Mm. Um, and we'll talk about that later with, with another drummer. Uh, so my second choice, my second Englishman of the day, is um, somebody who nearly replaced Keith Moon when he was taking too many drugs and drinking too much, which is hard to imagine in his case, uh, Mitch Mitchell of the Jimi Hendrix experience. I think Hendrix was very lucky when he came over to London without a group mm. and um, Chaz Chandler hooked him up with Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. And a, a, a sort of a ready-made group that had its own unique sound immediately. And um, Mitch Mitchell, obviously, has got a lot of jazz influences. But the first track we're going to hear is from the first album, Are You Experienced? Produced by Chaz Chandler. I love the production. A lot of people have slagged it off, saying that it's too, too raw. But I like the fact that it sounds like a demo. Um, and this has got... It's basically just... Vocals and drums carry the verses, and this is called Fire. Stand next to your fire. Oh, let me 
Yeah, that's a classic track, Jimi Hendrix Experience and Fire. The subsequent album to that, I think he mellowed out a little bit, Hendrix, and showed his songwriting skills and his singing. Um, A lot of people don't associate Hendrix with great singing, but I think the songs really do show his voice off to its best. Um, And some of the drumming got jazzier and more dreamy, and the, the sound of the drums... It actually sounds like they're in the room. They're so live. There's no, uh, there might be a touch of reverb on them, but there's just a beautiful sounding drum kit. Um, some of the fills on this track are just wonderful. So this is uh, called Wait Until Tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good choice, that interesting one, because, you know, the guitars are, are sort of almost in the background there for, for once, aren't they? Mm. It's sort of that simple bass rhythm and the, and the drums carrying it. Yeah, so it's, a good, it's a quite an unusual choice there. I should point out to the listener that I've asked you to fade some of these songs out because we don't have, we've got limited time, but I, some of the most amazing drumming happens towards the end of the song. Yeah. So um, especially that one, I just wanted to hear those last drum rolls. So thank you, Steve. You're welcome. It just hours in the editing room afterwards. Um, but uh, for you, mate, as it's your birthday, your wish is my command. Thank you very much. <laughs> Champagne, please. Great. Well, I'm gonna. I've got a little quiz for you now um, to test your knowledge of your sort of uh, colleague in the in the rhythm section. Your the, the bass player. 
And this won't are... take very long then. <laughs> is, this, is this going to be like Mr. and Mrs.? Do I need to put a blindfold on? No, no, it's not personally bass players you oh, know I or have sort of shared <laughs> rooms with. You know, that's another podcast. Um, but this is. Oh, the different channel we are. I thought, you know, I mean, it's a way of me uh, cheating a little bit and cramming in um, <laughs> a lot of my favourite bass players into a little quiz. Um, okay. <laughs> right. So, got so the listener can uh, also play along. So if you've got a pen and paper handy, I'm going to play you a little medley of my favourite bass intros. Um, right. I have two sections. The first one is, is sort of 10, 10 sort of bass intros, of, of mainly sort of punk, post-punk, new wave, uh, some of my favourite tracks. I need a pen and paper then, George. I need a pen and paper, and you've got to jot down the name of the band. You're right. Uh, the name of the song. Yep. And if you can, the name of the bass player. Crikey, yep. And you get a point for each answer. <laughs> <laughs> so 30 points up for grabs here. 30 points up for grabs. So here we go. We're going to play a little medley. So play along okay. at home, and I'll, um, I'll give you the answers at the end. Okay, cheers. Let's go, buddy. So there we go. That was um, my little quiz, um, part one. Ten of my favourite all-time bass intros. Um, so, buddy, how did you do? Uh, okay, for the first three. <laughs> well, let's, and, go through, uh, let's go through one by. Let's go through them. See um, how you did in the quiz. Don't forget thirty points up to up for grabs here. Yeah, yeah. So we've got Peaches by the Stranglers with your favourite Jean-Jacques Pernel. Yeah. Who I'm sure you're going to talk about later. Uh, True Confessions by the undertones with the very lovely Mickey Bradley on Rickenbacker bass. Neat, neat, neat by the dams. And I think it was the captain playing bass on that. It was, yes. Now, number four, I'm an abject failure. Well, you've, you've supported them. Fallen oh. Lee actually shared the stage with this band. Monochrome set? Yes. 
Well done. And that was uh, Fun for All the Family yeah. in the album Eligible Bachelors. And the bass player was Andy Warren. Andy Did Warren. We... He's still playing with him, isn't he? Indeed. And do you remember we it bumped did. into him in, um, in our favourite Japanese restaurant in Putney? Oh, we did, yes. Yes. Yeah. Didn't um, pick up the tab, though, did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> uh, OK, then we've got Psycho Killer by Talking Heads. Very wonderful Tina Weymouth on bass. Yeah, correct. And we've got Into the Valley by The Skids, and I can't remember the bass player's name. It's Bill Simpson. Bill Simpson. Was he playing with them last year? Uh, no. Oh, OK. Uh, number seven, I'm at a complete loss. Ah, that was one of my uh, my favourites from my childhood. That was Discharge, an Ain't No Feeble <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> Sorry, what's it called? Ain't No Feeble Bastard. Right. By Discharge, and on bass was Rainy, or he's a remarkably more punky name of Roy Wainwright. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a greengrocer. Yeah, Stoke on Trent's Thank finest you. hardcore punk band and one of the Discharge. best I've ever seen. We're seeing them at the 100 Club and that, honestly, I, I think my rib cage was crushed, you know, not just from being the, the down the front, being sort of pogered on, but just the, the sheer power of that bass, you know, and um, fantastic band. Okay, number eight is uh, Public Image Limited by Public Image Limited with that well-known Spurs supporter on bass, Jar Wobble. Correct. Number nine is Holiday in Cambodia by the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. But again, I don't know the name of the bass player. Klaus Floride, that's the, the classic single from the Dead Kennedys. Okay, and then number 10, you again, you have me. Ah, that's um, The Fall, and ah. 2 by 4 and the bass player was Stephen Hanley, and that's the album. That's on the album, The Wonderful and Frightening World of the Fall. Um, well, well done, buddy. That was, a, that was a good little showing there from you, and I uh, managed to cram in lots of my bass playing <laughs> heroes there as well. So, deviating off the top five a little bit, but... Um, Hope we had a lot of fun there. And uh, listener, how many uh, how many did you get? Uh, be interested to to know your scores there. Great. So, did you enjoy that, buddy? A little birthday quiz. Yeah, yeah. Get the old brain cells working. Yeah, and I think we'll now allow you to go back to your your choice of drummers. Um, who back on safe ground. Name? Okay. Um, now, when he was fourteen years old, this bloke used to hang around Mitch Mitchell's house because he was obsessed with "Are You Experienced?" and he met him. And I don't know what happened next. The case never came to court. But um, it's Pete oh. Thomas of The Attractions. Um, he's, I think he started off in a, punk, a, a pub rock band called Chitty Willie and the Red Hot Peppers. Now, I'm going to ask you to play this song in full because the bass playing is also phenomenal. I mean, it's just, it's, it sounds like another two instruments, just the bass. And something happens at around the two-minute mark for 30 seconds. It's just the vocal, the drums... And there's a keyboard and the drumming is just phenomenal. I mean, I, I know what he's doing. It's not beyond my uh, understanding. It's definitely beyond my capabilities. It's absolutely astonishing. And the interesting thing for me is that at about three minutes and 15 seconds, he does a drum roll at the end and he nearly fluffs it. <laughs> he just managed to get, he, he's a tiny bit late coming in on the next bar. And this is, of course, analogue. There's no digital recording. If he hadn't completely messed up that role, they'd have had to do another take. So I like the fact that he's done three minutes and 17 seconds of perfection, and then he thinks, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to try and do a role here that might completely ruin everything I've done, knowing that he can't drop in, he can't edit. He's got to go back to the beginning and do the whole thing again. And, and that's what I love about drummers who take chances and take risks. So this is Lipstick Vogue, from the second Elvis Costello album and the first with the attractions uh, this year's model. 
Takes your breath away, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I know the song, but I hadn't sort of really listened to it in the context of, of really taking in the drums and the bass like that. You know, it's just one of those songs that I like. And uh, but yeah, listening to it like that, it, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Fantastic. And you heard you heard where he just rushed to get in that last drum roll. Yeah, yeah, I can. I can it see just it. made it by the skin of his teeth. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, I I'm probably I might be wrong here, not being a drummer myself. But don't don't find him quite an underrated drummer you know i mean you know you think oh, that's he's, he's, i think he's incredible i think he's absolutely he's like a metronome but with style i mean he's he's his timekeeping is perfect yeah um and but he's so inventive the next track um is from trust which i've always thought of as costello's piano and drums album because is they are really to the fore they're really prominent and this track the drums and the piano, they're playing in 
absolute perfect synchronicity. It, it's the, the piano and the drums follow each other, and they're also following the vocal. It's it's just I don't know another song like it. It's called Strict Time. That's another great track, you know, and, and again, listening to it um, fresh like that, taking into account the drums, it is fantastic. Do you, when you listen to stuff, Steve, do you break, I mean, can you break stuff down and separate things out in your head as you listen? Because I always concentrate on the drums if I'm at a show, mm. but also if I'm listening to music on record, I can just sort of isolate the drums in my head and just listen to that or the bass or the guitar. If it's if it's well mixed and it's and it's separate, you, yeah, I mean, you I, do that. I, yeah, I guess it's down a lot to the production, isn't it? You know, and um, how things are separated. But um, oh, obviously, as a bass player, personally, I'm always interested in, in picking out the bass lines. And um, but uh, this is the thing: what we're talking about with drums and bass. Sometimes, apart from those well-known sort of riffs and drum feels, it's those little bits in between. Like I said, all the way through those Costello tracks there. The drumming is quite remarkable. You know, it's fantastic. It's 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 not just keeping the, the, that sort of steady no. beat. I mean, there's just yeah, what's going on. But it's not over the top, is it? You know, it's really sort of economical. But it's um, so yeah. I mean, I can really concentrate on the drums there, and I think it's um, that's a good bit of a little bit of education for me there because I've never really considered him to be what I would say is, is a fantastic drummer. But listening to that, wow, I feel like we are sort of um, filling the BBC remit here you know, to inform, educate and exterminate <laughs> our, our listening audience. Yeah. Um, of, all, of all instruments in rock and roll, I think the bass is the hardest to separate, especially if the mix is a bit muddy. Mm. It can get a bit lost down in the bottom end, can't it? Well, definitely, which is why a lot of my bass, my favourite bass players are ones that buck the trend, you know, that break out from that steady rhythm in the background, you know, that nearly all my favourite bass players are ones that, show off <laughs> like your and, 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 do, and do they have a toppier sound a bit more uh, generally generally yeah but i mean if i'm thinking about my which we'll get on to a couple of them in, in in a minute is i like the the bass players which which do do stand out you know like jean Jacques Benel, stuart morrow mm. new model army peter hook obviously where they become almost like a lead instrument yeah um, 
whereas I like a lot of the like say Keith Moon like you said earlier he was a lead drummer almost you know that he was mm. he was so he was in the forefront he wasn't just at the back doing that 4-4 four, four rhythm you know so yeah I, I do like bass players that, that stand out you know but there's a time and a place isn't there you don't want the thing is sometimes we say Peter Hook or, or some of those bass players but when it's if it's too much all the time you know it can get a bit samey you know you, you need to to know the value of reining it in a little bit and well it's it. about serving the song isn't it exactly yeah yeah and so, so yeah there's, there's there's that the serving the song but there's also the sound as you mentioned earlier the production a lot, a lot depends on that because if you've got a great drum sound or a great bass sound you don't have to play so much yeah because just the acoustics will do the work and, you know, talking about bass players, you, you also chose Bruce Thomas of The Attractions as one of your favourite bass players. And again, that was, that was really apparent in that last track as well. Yeah, yeah, he's a great, great musician. Um, he fell out with Costello, didn't he? I think he's persona non grata in the Costello camp now. I don't know what happened between them. What happens between people, Steve? I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, let, let's go on to bass players. And so you mentioned Bruce Thomas of The Attractions as one of your favourites. There's a great... Great bass player. Right, my turn now. Um, very difficult for me to choose sort of <laughs> just five of my favourite bass players. So I've um, I've broken down into three little sections here. So first of all, I've gone for my top five iconic female bass players. And I've gone for number one has to be Gay Advert of the Adverts. Um, oh, yes. Little scoop. Hopefully we're going to get um, Gay in for a future episode of Retrosonic Podcast pretty soon. That's in the works. So uh, something to look forward to. And then I've got... Uh, Kim Deal of the Pixies, one of my all-time favourite bands. Fantastic Kim Deal, super cool. Another Kim, Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth. And then I've gone for Tina Weymouth of Talking Heads, you know, probably one of the most iconic female bass players around. You know, when she started off, you know, she was just sort of pretty much given the bass and said, we can't find anyone else, learn this. And uh, I just remember seeing her on the Old Grey Whistle Test, those really early, you know, you look back at the Talking Heads uh, playing live and she looked like a a rabbit in headlights, you know, she looked sort of terrified with a bass playing. And then she just sort of blossomed into this fantastic rhythmic bass player. Yeah. To form Tom Tom Club. And one of my favourite uh, Talking Heads tracks um, that highlights her great bass playing is uh, Found a Job. And uh, Oh, that's from the second album, isn't it? Yeah, and more songs about buildings and food. So uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's play a little snippet of uh, Found a Job by Talking Heads.
a fantastic track, Talking Heads, uh, found a job from more songs about uh, buildings and food. And that's uh, a great example of Tina Weymouth's fantastic bass playing. And you can see that they were really getting into sort of funk there. You know, I mean, they've got that scratchy rhythm, rhythmic guitar and the bass is sort of carrying the, carrying the melody on that. The drums are quite simple. Oh, that's a perfect example of her, her great bass playing. She learned very quick, didn't she? She yeah. went, she, she improved in, well, I don't say improves because sometimes the simplest thing is the best thing, but I mean, she did develop into quite a virtuoso by the end. Yeah, fantastic. Difficult to choose a sort of uh, favourite bass riff, so that's always been one of my, my favourites. And then my number five of my top five iconic female bass players, Tessa Pollitt of the Slits. Ah. Yeah, you know, great taking um, uh, all that sort of funk and reggae rhythms and uh, all that sort of scratchy guitar from Viv Albertine, you know, really sort of changed the game, I think, in terms of what would be known as sort of um, post-punk music, I guess, you know, where there's that beautiful rhythm, the, the real bass-heavy dub sound, uh, and allying it with a, a sort of a punk uh, punk sort of energy. And uh, I'll play a little snippet now of uh, one of my favourite tracks of the Slits. This is Typical Girls. fantastic uh, slits um, with typical girls with Tessa Pollitt on the bass and uh, she was number five in my top five iconic female bass players so we started off with Gay Advert, Tina Weymouth, Kim Deal and Kim Gordon and uh, Tessa Pollitt. Uh. As two of my five bass players are also female I wonder if there's a the possibility of women gravitating towards the bass as a, as a chosen instrument. Can we have a scientific study on this, please? Well, I mean, there's loads of great female bass players, you know, maybe the rhythm, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that, that sort of female rhythm, which which works. I mean, you know, you've got Patricia Morrison of the Gun Club, um, and they went on Sister Mercy, Romy Mori of the Gun Club, you know, Jennifer Finch, L7, you know, I can think, oh, there's just some fantastic bass players, you know, and uh, I don't know, but it's a good point. Hmm. And you want to go on to your next drummer, buddy? I'll go on to my next drummer. And this bloke, when he was 14, used to hang around the house of uh, Pete Thomas. No, he didn't really. I'm not just <laughs> making that bit up. Um, another Englishman from Dover, I believe. Um, topper heading of The Clash. Um, I could probably choose 30 or 40 tracks, but um, I'm going to choose three that are sonically interesting. So the opening track from the second album, Give Them Enough Rope, um, apparently it took a week to get the drum sound. Now, when you consider when I go to Pat Collier's studio, I normally get the drum sound in 45 minutes. To spend a week in a top state-of-the-art studio in the States with Sandy Pearlman, heavy metal producer, at the helm, to take a week to do it, 
it just shows some attention to detail, but I think uh, the results are pretty damn good. And the reason I've chosen this is we are going to fade it out, but then we're going to fade it in again, and the track fades in. Sorry, the track fades out and in again, yeah. and it's led by the drums. Yeah. Um, so you, you know what I'm going on about. And it's called Safe European Home. absolutely fantastic uh, certainly one of my favorite drummers of all time and i love that album and i think it was because of the the production i know a lot of punk slated it at the time because it was overproduced but i absolutely love that album probably because it was pro- it was the, the time i started buying records and it was the first clash album i got as it was released so it always means a lot to me but the sound on that album is just absolutely phenomenal you know it was um the power of that of the drumming on the record is just it's second to none you know it is. It is. I, I, for me, the album's a little bit over the top when it comes to songwriting. I don't know if we discussed this before, but um, okay. So then, um, shortly after that album, I think it was shortly after they released an EP called "The Cost of Living," and I think this is some of the best work they ever did because the production by Bill Price um, is brilliant. The separation is just out of this world. He used to be the engineer when Chris Thomas was the producer. So he sort of worked under his wing when he produced the Sex Pistols and um, Townsend and the Pretenders. But he came into his own right and produced this EP. And this track, Groovy Times, um, it just, it's just got a beautiful drum sound. It's warm, um, it's resonant, and um, it's a great song. Tear it. 
The other thing about Topper is his innovation and he can play any style. I don't know if that's why they chose him, but he could play jazz, funk. There's nothing he couldn't turn his hand to. And this track is probably the, the last great track that The Clash ever recorded. I'm not, I'm not counting Know Your Rights. It's called Straight to Hell. Um, and on the extended version, the bass drum leads the song for the first minute or so. And the bass, the, the sound of the bass drum it's so incredible, and it's been sampled by loads of people. I think MIA used it for paper planes. And I've looked up and I found out how they got that bass drum sound. Topper got an R-White's lemonade bottle, wrapped it in a towel, and said to Strummer, OK, hit the front of the bass drum when I hit the beat. So that sound, which is incredible, I mean, it's like your heart thumping through your chest, is the sound of a lemonade bottle being hit on the front of the bass drum and the bass drum pedal being hit on the back of the bass drum. Ah. So, and 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 the the rhythm, which is a kind of bossa nova feel. Um, I can't think of another song like it. It's it's mm. it's unique and, and it's brilliantly played. Yeah. And again, I'm presuming it's sort of the extended mix. I think it's about six minutes yeah. uninterrupted, no mistakes, no drop-ins. He was like a machine and a great song. It is a good song and um, interesting little tell. I didn't know that about the bass drum, so I'm going to get out a lemonade bottle next time I come around your house and we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll recreate it. Okay. And this is The Clash and uh, Straight to Hell. Oh 
great choice of um toppers work there you know definitely one of my favorite drummers as well and next up i've got my top five iconic male bass players then just smashy and nicey so, i think i think well, this is again iconic bass player this is this is cool bass player this is uh right people that just ooze cool and charisma so dd ramon has to be you know, not obviously, maybe not technically, but who cares? You know, what a, what a sort of bass icon, you know. I mean, just the look. Everybody mm. copied him. Mm. Everybody had their bass round by their knees, the leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you need the arms of a given to play it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was just the, that, probably the ultimate bass icon for me. Um, J.J. Bunnell, of course, you know, karate kicking J.J., you know, what a, what a innovator. I mean, this is someone that just elevated bass. And like you said earlier, when you're as a drummer, you're sometimes listening to a, a drum and thinking, how the hell do they do that? I mean, this was like the same with, with JJ. You know, it's just every, every record, just perfect. And he, and he could mix the styles and he could balance it. It wasn't all over the top, you know. But a perfect, for me, perfect bass player, menacing, you know, I mean, utterly evil Fender bass, you know, I mean, it was just that evil sound, you know, it was just out of this world, scary, menacing. Probably the best example you can be found on, on the, the whole of the album, the, the, the black and white album. You know, yeah. here's a couple of little tracks, little snippets of um, two of my favourite songs. Obviously, we've got Nice and Sleazy, uh, the ultimate uh, uh, sleazy bass line. What, what more can you say, you know? And a uh, great little intro to five minutes. Uh, here's a couple of examples of JJ's work. Uh, some some great stuff 
JJ Bernal. Is, um, is he using um, effects on that bass? Do you think? It's. It, I mean, it doesn't really. Sometimes it doesn't sound like a bass guitar. It sounds like something, as you say, more sinister. Yeah, definitely. And then we've got to throw in Lemmy. He's Rickenbacker bass. You know the. Sort yeah. of, what a sound! And again, he the first person I ever saw to try to play chords on a bass. I mean, I've never seen. Yeah. Him. I mean, he's actually <laughs> playing bloody chords. strumming it. Yeah. Strumming his bass guitar. I mean, <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. Oh dear! I mean, obviously, Ace of Spades, Motorhead, great bass intros, you know, and, and a classic character and a, and a real icon, you know. Um, and then Paul Simonon of the Clash, you know, what a, what a cool dude, you know. I mean, another like like Tina Weymouth couldn't play when he started, and then learned very quickly. Definitely, yeah, you're right. And uh, but he just had that cool, yeah, he had that, yeah, yeah. The, the look, you know, again the low slung bass, you know. I mean, it was just yeah. And I suppose we've got to go for in terms of bass. I can't, yeah, it's a difficult one, but Peter Hook. Again, a sound that sort of maybe took that Stranglers JJ but our sound and just ramped it up. You know, I mean, it was it was bass as lead instrument. And I mean, so many examples mm. of, of brilliant bass riffs, memorable sort of uh, bass intros and lines, you know. But I've gone for a few different um, tracks here from various uh, bands that he was in. I've obviously gone for Joy Division's She's Lost Control. Yeah. And he was in a band called Monaco, which were a pretty good band, but I just love this track that he did on the single... What do you want from me? You know, the bass intro to that one is fantastic. And then he's worked recently with uh, my favourite French band, uh, Liminanas, and on a couple of tracks and uh, added his uh, trademark bass to some some great songs from them. And uh, I'm going to go for The Gift. So here's a little medley of three tracks. We're going to have She's Lost Control by Joy Division, What Do You Want From Me by Monaco, and then we'll hear The Gift from the Liminanas. It's when you say my life is in your hands. 
It's a very distinctive bass sound. Oh, fantastic. You know, and again, bass, I mean, bass down by the ankles, you know, mean, moody, great. What, what a Magnificent. Mind. Mean, moody and magnificent, you know. <laughs> so, buddy, your turn. Let's go on to your next uh, choice of drummer. My final choice. He, this man used to hang around top of Hedden's house when he was only 13. <laughs> and uh, no, that's not true either. So uh, my last choice is uh, a man called Chris Sherrick who I first became aware of when I was playing with The Rage and we supported the Icicle Works. Um, and he's sort of the embodiment of my not wanting to watch other groups when I play live. I often don't watch support groups and I often don't watch the headline group. And that's usually because I don't want to be embarrassed <laughs> about my drumming. Um, I don't want to be put off what I've got to do by watching somebody else play, especially before me. So we were, we supported them in uh, Leicester and Nottingham. And um, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. I think he was about 18 at the time and he had the flair of Keith Moon and um, he had the discipline and the technical ability of somebody sort of 30 years older than he was. He was just incredible. They did um, a version of Won't Get Forward Again as an encore, and it was better than The Who. I mean, it was just astonishing. I don't think that on record he has ever captured quite how good he is. Uh, I last saw him playing for World Party at the Royal Albert Hall. I just sat and watched him all night. I mean, he's, he's just brilliant. Everything he does um, takes your breath away. And the first track is it's a track called High Time from the Icicle Works album Blind. It's not the best song they ever recorded, but the drumming would make me just want to listen to the song for, for, the, for that alone. And he does a drum roll 17 seconds in that you just, you just go, I didn't think that was possible. And um, a lot of the rhythm is very, very impressive through the whole song. The only thing is he's obviously playing to a click track. I can tell that he's playing to a click track because he sort of, it doesn't swing like it would if it had been recorded analogue style and this is the the bane of modern recording what it does to you it, it it locks you into that pattern and it's also probably too fast but anyway make your own mind up um just listen out for that first roll at 17 seconds um and the track is actually called high time from the album blind Something I should know 
Yeah, great band bicycle work. So I was a big fan of them, you know. I mean, and his drumming on, especially on the first album for me, was was superb. You know, they're yeah on the early early records. Great drummer, great drummer, and a very 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 lovely and modest man. And he, I think he'd gone into the bicycle works. He'd been in a group called the Cherry Boys, and then he was in the Lars very briefly. Um, and then he started doing sort of session work, and he was a gun for hire, and he got. Um, he got to work with people like Delamitri and the Lightning Seeds, um, obviously coming from the same city as Ian Brodie. Uh, this is a track called Fingers and Thumbs, and um, it just demonstrates, again, his, his brilliant rhythmic ability. And then um, he moved on to also working with Robbie Williams, but we'll just gloss over that. But he did a lot of work with Carl Wadiger um, for World Party. Uh, this track is called Curse of the Mummy's Tomb from the album Egyptology. Uh, beautiful, just, just very laid back, relaxed, powerful drumming. Okay, so some great choices there, buddy. So, that's, uh, so you're five of your favourite drummers there. Um, really good examples of their work as well. And I'm sure we're going to do another episode and you can pick uh, five more sometime in the near future. We'll do an international version for me. Definitely. 
yeah, we'll do that next, definitely. Now, next up, I've got five more of <laughs> my bass players. Five unsung bass players, or five of my favourite bass players, uh, who, who might not um, get the recognition they deserve. So I've gone for Stuart Morrow of New Model Army, who, right. when they started, were a good band. I, I didn't really like what they sort of morphed into once Stuart left. You know, I didn't they, they got violins and started getting a, a bit folky and that. But when they started off, they were just a real... Powerful trio, fantastic drummer, and obviously the great bass player of Stuart Morrow. Which again, I, I I remember seeing them in this tiny club in in Reading. I think the, the Paradise Club. And I was standing right in front of Stuart, and my mouth was was wide open. You know, I just couldn't believe <laughs> what he was doing, how he could play. You know, I mean, I was just watching him as a bass player myself. How he was getting these sounds out of the bass. He was using so he was using some effects, but mostly it was just this real, real innovative playing style you know and he was getting his weird noises out of it and talk about JJ Bennell being a lead bass player well I think Stuart Morrow sort of trumped him those early New Model Army records absolutely fantastic and uh, obviously I'm going to go for Vengeance um, off the mini album Vengeance which has got everything Uh, it's a bass player's uh, dream and uh, let's hear that let's hear New Model Army and Vengeance Yeah, so a great example of, of sort of lead bass playing there. Probably similar to sort of the, the jam, you know, where you had Paul Weller was playing sort of more rhythmic guitar and Bruce Foxton was often taking the melodies with a bass. And that debut album, the, the mini album, Vengeance, some of the bass playing on that is utterly phenomenal. And then I've gone for Barry Adamson of Magazine and uh, has later gone on to play with the Bad Seeds and do a lot of great solo work and uh, fantastic uh, bass player. And I love Stuck because he's, uh, this is a great funky bass line. Yeah. 
And that was Magazine with Stuck, featuring the great bass playing of Barry Adamson from their album, The Correct Use of Soap. I suppose if you're talking of unsung heroes, you can't um, often get more unsung than a session musician. And uh, that's uh, who I've gone for for my next choice. Uh, it's, uh... Well, you've gone, you've gone rogue there, Steve. You've gone completely off-piste from rock and roll. I, I, I tip my hat to you. I have, yeah. It's, um, it's celebrating Dave Richmond, who um, added his uh, sort of iconic bass sound to that legendary album, Histoire de Melody Nelson from Serge Gainsbourg, and of course, uh, the classic uh, slice of sleaze, Je Tame, One en Plus, a new sound that sort of went on to influence Air and Jarvis Cocker and, uh, and Beck, and uh, it's, it's become like a bit of a, become a celebrity now, thanks to his work uh, with Serge. And uh, I've got three examples of uh, his classic bass sound. I'm going to play a little medley here. We're going to have um, Ballard de Melody Nelson from the Histoire de Melody Nelson album. And then we're going to have 69 Annie Erotique by uh, Jane Birkin and Serge Gainsbourg. What's that about, then, Steve? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, check it out on Google Translate. You know. Like the bingo caller, a meal for two with a terrible view, 69. <laughs> Is the rest of the album that smutty? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, well, getting on to the talk about Smutty, <laughs> you know, going on to the legendary single Je Tame One Non Plus, uh, which is uh, with Serge and Jane as well. So, um, yeah, pretty smutty. So, uh, let's hear a little medley of uh, some smut courtesy of Dave um, Richmond's fantastic bass sound. Sacre Moi-même, personne n'a jamais pris dans ses bras, ça vous étonne, mais c'est comme ça. Je 
je me retiens. And then I'm going for um, Inge Johansson of Swedish, uh, fantastic uh, psych garage band, uh, the International Noise Conspiracy. And this is one of my favourite tracks from them. Uh, great bass sound as well. Up for sale. And another little um, bit of news, um, we've got Inga uh, lined up as a special guest uh, for our podcast as well. So a bit of a bass players union, if we can get uh, Gay Advert and uh, Inga in as well uh, for future episodes. I might have to get another drummer in to balance it out a little bit. Um, I think you should get a drummer in. Yeah, why not? Don't do it yourself. Then we've got uh, Norman Watroy of the Block. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Wilco Johnson Band, obviously. Yeah, fantastic. And The Who, I think, he's played with. Oh, and The Clash. And the Clash, yeah, yeah, allegedly a lot of the famous sort of bass lines on um, I was a Magnificent Seven, and that so was were done by Norman Watroy in the studio. So hmm, there you go. So I think I'm going to go for Hit Me with Your Rhythm Stick. of Sudan and the gardens of Japan from Milan to Yucatan every woman's every man hit me with your rhythm stick hit me hit me ich liebe dich hit me hit me hit me hit me with your rhythm stick Hit me slowly, hit me quick, hit me, hit me, hit me. Okay, buddy, well, let's, um, I'm going to hit your rhythm stick with um, a new quiz. So let's have part two of our quiz. Of... Okay, I'm ready, willing and able. And here we go, another 10 bass riffs. Get your pen and paper ready, listener, and at the end we'll give you the answers, so... Uh, a little bit of a um, curveball here because there's a possible 31 points in this. Um, name the band, the song, 
and the bass player. And here we go. So that was part two of our quiz, another 10 fantastic bass intros from 10 of my favourite bass players of all time. Um, how do you get on, buddy? How, and you oh, listen- Steve, you've gone all new romantic on me. <laughs> I don't know. Not very well at all. Um, I think we've got the first one. Oh, I've got the song. It's uh, Where's Captain Kirk by Spiz. Yeah. Uh, is it? Yes, yeah, Spiz Energy. Where's Captain Yeah, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure who the bass player is. Jim Sola. Jim Sola. Real name. Um, secondly, uh, Guns of Brixton by The Clash with Paul Simonon. Yep. Uh, I haven't got a clue for the third one. The line's not great, but go on. What's the third one? That was The Sisters of Mercy and Lucrecia, ah. My Reflection. Patricia Morrison was in the band at the time. Now, I don't know if she actually played the bass on that. The next one? No. Again, you've lost me. Oh, that was the UK subs and Warhead. You know, every bass player. Oh, sorry. Every bass player of my, my age... Um, learned the bass along to Warhead and um, I said I met Paul Slack and I've held that bass that he wrote that on and uh, he played at the Half Moon for me when he was in a band called Monaco and the Explosions a lovely guy um, classic bass riff and next up uh, Love Song The Damned and is that Paul Gray playing on that uh, that was LG Ward great oh, bass LG Ward yeah yeah was but, he before or after Paul Gray um, he was before Paul Gray and he was on Machine Gun Etiquette uh-huh. Um, and that was oh, fantastic. Um, and actually, Paul Gray is a great bass player, and he's back with the dam now, as we've discussed on previous podcasts. Because he came from Eddie and the Hot Rods, didn't he? Yeah, Paul Gray did. But yeah. um, uh, a great uh, love song, classic bass intro by LG Ward. And uh, next up. Then there's something very new romantic sounding to me. Oh, you couldn't be further from the new romantic. <laughs> what is genre. it? That was Black Flag and Six Pack. Really? Chuck Dukowski. Like, one of my. Maybe f- I've, I- 
Ah, maybe you missed maybe, that one. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I've missed. Yeah, as I say, I got a bit confused. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you know, yeah, you're jumping ahead of yourself. That was Black Flag, great band. In fact, I saw Black Flag supporting the Damned um, at the Lyceum in '81, uh, '82, and that blew me away. Scary band. Henry Rollins was just unbelievable. Oh, he is scary. Well, that takes you into the next song, doesn't it? Henry yeah. Rollins, guest vocalist with the Ruts. Ah, no, you miss you. you ah, maybe you, you're missing one. So there was. Ah, oh, I'm out. Sorry. The the. Delta Five was the one you were thinking of, probably. Um, oh, okay. And that was Mind Your Own Business. And this is where you got the little bonus point here because they actually had two bass players. Um, so oh, got your, two bass players? 31 points up for grabs there. You know, that was... Take uh, two bass players into the shower. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick Allen and Beth Peters and uh, the great Delta Five. Fantastic. Wow. There. Overkill. Yeah. Um, then the Ruts. Yes. With the very wonderful Segs on bass. But I'm not sure of the song. I know the song. I've got the song, but I couldn't recognise it. Jar War, classic single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it was Jar War. It's got a picture of the. Uh, it's got a picture of a globe on the front of his yeah. black sleeve. Yeah, fantastic band and the great Segs Jennings. You know, um, brilliant bass player. Again, one of my yes. favourite bass players. And then, like I said, Dave Ruffy, one of your favourite drummers. But um, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe that's for another another time. You know. And next up. No, I'm 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 out now. I've got nothing. Got nothing. Uh, well, we had um, Sparks, and oh. fantastic track, Barbecue, which is a B-side to um, the, the classic This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. And, oh, really? That, that long ago? Because they're still going, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is back when, uh, it's a Kimono My House era, uh, great bass player Martin Gordon, and uh, what an evil bit of bass. I mean, that was something even J.J. Bunnell would have been proud of, you know. And then uh, we ended it on one of our bass icons, and um, that was Motorhead and the classic Motorhead with uh, Lemmy. Um, oh, I think I think my my signal was completely cutting out by that point. Yeah, yeah, it's your hearing. It's all that bass. Oh, that is... <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> well, well done. I hope you um, enjoyed the little quizzes there, listeners. And uh, yeah, and, yeah, uh, you threw me. Let me know how, it... how you got on. And that was a, a sneaky little way of me shoehorning in another twenty of my favourite bass players there. You know, yeah, yeah I get five. I get five drummers and you've had 20 bass players. <laughs> it's my podcast. I can do what I want. Right? <laughs> I'm taking it home. <laughs> Before we go, um, tell, tell me your fav, favourite bass players, you know, who as a drummer you would like to share a stage with. Well, we talked about Bruce Thomas of The Attractions. Obviously, John Nickmissel is a shoo-in. Um, Tina Weymouth was also in my top five. And Michelle Stodart, I think that's how you pronounce her name, who's the bass player with the magic numbers. And I love her bass playing. It's so melodic. It's sort of McCartney-esque. Mm. Um, and if I may be self-indulgent for a second, my last one would be the bass player in um, Feast of Friends. <laughs> oh, sorry, no. No, not Feast of Friends. <laughs> I mean the chords. He retired a long time ago. <laughs> I mean the chords. To do a podcast. Um, Martin Mason who was the unsung hero in the chords and the only real musician at the time, uh, probably still. But he was, um, I don't know how he held it together in the, in the, the firestorm was, that was the chords live sound. He somehow held it together. I mean, with the, with the drumming and the guitars and the vocals uh, all going hell-bent for leather, I don't know how he did it. He was the, the cement between all the bricks, and we are a bunch of bricks. So um, well done, Martin. And um, he made the wise decision to retire from the music scene many years ago. He learned very quickly. 
Well, also the thing about Martin was that he was uh, also very McCartney-esque in, in the small spaces that he was allowed. Um, he was a huge Paul McCartney fan, still is. And um, I think his bass playing in the bridge uh, of the song It's No Use is uh, probably his finest work. Well, shall we hear it? Let's hear the chords and It's No Use. <laughs> It's a great track by The Chords, It's No Use, which is available um, from all good record stores um, on the Recordings 1978-1981 box set, um, which we've obviously discussed at length in previous podcasts with you, buddy, and I recommend everyone rushing out and buying a copy of that fantastic box set now. Available at all good garden (laughs) centres. Yeah. And not only do you get um, to experience some of the great uh, bass playing by Martin, but of course you're going to hear lots of Interesting drumming from Mr. Interesting, yes. Mr. Brick, our special guest. So thank you so much, buddy. It's been a real pleasure as always uh, chatting to you. And um, we're going to get together soon and do another episode um, of what we don't know. Maybe we can talk about guitarists, eh? Who knows? (laughs) Well, yeah, what are we going to do after the first five minutes? Oh. But thanks, buddy. And... um, pleasure to see you as always and, and I'll, don't forget everybody I'll put up a, a, a feature on retromanblog.com with a full track listing and answers to our little quizzes and uh, some links to where you can find out more about uh, what Buddy's up to um, with the Fallen Leaves and uh, all the music that we've uh, we've covered so thanks Buddy and we'll speak to you soon thanks for having me Steve and um, we're going to go out on something um, exemplifies everything we've been talking about I think 
Yes, indeed. Well, we said at the very beginning that um, obviously uh, the apex of the drums and the bass is uh, Keith Moon and John Whistle, and we both um, independently came up with the same choice uh, by chance uh, to play out on, and this is The Who and The Real Me from Quadrophenia, which is a, is a perfect example uh, of uh, some great bass playing and drumming, and um, sums up what we love about The Who. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks again, buddy, and uh, here's The Who. Thanks, Steve. this is Steve from Retroman Blog and welcome to this very special edition of Retro Sonic Podcast. I tend to have these sort of ideas for podcasts and blog features, often when I'm sort of in the middle of the... It was my idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, who's the bloke who produced the Pistols album? Don, um, Don Goodman? No. <laughs> he played for Wolves, didn't he? Oh, Dave, go, Dave Good. Come on. <laughs> he used to be in I think he was in the Red Hot Chili Peppers no no the Chili Willy what, what? <laughs> shall I start again yeah. <laughs> uh, what he used to, he used to think hang on what well, that puppy hang on it. yeah oh Chili yeah, before um, oh, Red Chili Willy and the Red Hot Willy yeah yeah I think I'm talking too much, Steve.